0: So, brewing it over with Cup North, the show that gives you the chance to deep dive into the topics shared in the content programme at our events. From social issues to consumer to sustainability issues, there's something for everyone. I'm Hannah Davis. And I'm Grace Talbot. Today, we're joined by Alex Shaw from Kickback Coffee
1: Roasters. Alex started out his career with a popcorn machine in his kitchen and selling small bags of coffee to his friends. Since then, he has gone on to set up kickback coffee roasters who have two cafes, a bakery and a keen focus on connecting the great outdoors and coffee.
0: Don't forget, if you want to listen to Alex's presentation from Manchester Coffee Festival, hang on until the end of this podcast to hear the full recording. Just talking of Manchester Coffee Festival, we couldn't deliver any of our projects without the incredible support of our partners. Here's an advert from the one and only Lamazoco.
1: Who's your barista hero? Do you have a local barista who always puts a smile on your face? Someone who never fails to make you feel welcome and at home in your favourite coffee shop? A friendly face who always goes above and beyond to bring you first-class hospitality when you go for your morning flat white? This year, La are bringing their Barista Hero competition back for 2023. Nominate your favourite barista today to give them a chance to win cash prize of £1,000 plus a trip to Academia del Café Espresso in Florence. Simply fill out who they are, where they work and why they're amazing. For more details on how to enter, head to the UK Instagram page and click the link in their bio. Welcome, Alex.
2: Thank Can you very you much. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to be a part of this. If I was to describe myself as not only someone who enjoys coffee, the outdoors, I'm also someone who likes to talk with people, not at people. So, uh, yeah, I apologize if I, if I, if I go on, but um, it's no, going to be fun. We
1: love it. We love people who like to talk. That is the main theme of a podcast. We do want you to feel nice and relaxed, and we do want our lovely listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So no pressure, but I'm going to throw some quick fire questions your way. Are you ready?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> Okay. Right. Hardest question for a coffee professional to answer. What's your coffee order?
2: First thing in the morning, flat white. Flat white. Wonderful.
1: So while our dedicated barista, Hannah, gets to work on your flat white, just in the corner <laughs> over there, let me ask you this question. What is playing on the sound system in your dream cafe as you sip on this flat white?
2: Oh, some old school Kings of Leon.
1: Oh, Kings of Leon.
2: Yeah, old school, old school though. When it sounds a little bit tinny, uh, and you can't, no matter how many times you hear them, you still can't understand what they're saying.
1: Excellent. Yeah, always get the lyrics wrong. That's my go-to. Yeah. Okay, so we've got the beverage, we've got the music. Uh, Does this remind you of anything particularly memorable? Like, do you have a most memorable cafe experience in real life now, not in fantasy?
2: Yes, I do, and I'll 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 recount this story because. bizarrely I actually told it this morning and this goes to this whole idea of when people say this is the best cup of coffee I've ever had and it's often down to an experience I was very fortunate to go to Sri Lanka and I walked up a mountain Mm. can't remember what it was called for about five hours I got to the top of this mountain and there was a man there with a little wood fire and a kettle and what I can only describe as a coffee poured through his used sock and essentially that was potentially the best coffee I ever had on uh the basis that I just didn't expect it I was tired and there it was a hot cup of coffee brewed through what only looked like a a used sock
1: there was was no Kings of Leon yeah well halfway up a mountain you could probably forgive that right lack of Kings Uh, of Leon
2: exactly exactly
0: (laughs) that is not what i was expecting you to say but uh yeah as most people say <laughs> when you're desperate that first cup of coffee in the morning it doesn't matter what it is does it <laughs> through old glorious or yeah. coffee machines we'll take it for our listeners who didn't catch your presentation at Manchester Coffee Festival last year can you start by giving us a kind of 60 second overview of of that talk the key points
2: so in coffee, there are lots of different choices in terms of the packaging and the material that you can use to uh, put your coffee in, be it a, a drink or the, the beans itself. And at Keep Back Coffee, we definitely looked into the different options and actually started questioning whether or not the ones that are tagged with positive phrases actually have a positive impact on the environment. And working with Manchester University and uh, the Sustainable Materials Innovation Hub, we went through some of the choices that we'd already made and evaluated whether or not they were good ones.
0: Great. Excellent. 60 seconds concise. <laughs> yeah.
2: If it was, three cheers for that.
0: So you started that project by looking at your coffee bags. And as a roaster, they're one of the primary ways that you can connect with your consumer, right? Through branding, through information. How important is it that elements of your business, like coffee bags, resp- represent like the whole ethos of your brand? Absolutely. Look,
2: This is one of the things that I always say about coffee roasters in particular is we don't do anything unique and I'm not being uh, derogatory to what it is that we do. Like I I genuinely, I love our coffee. I'm very passionate about our coffee. I'm passionate about where it comes from, how we produce it, how we uh, profile it. There's, there's, There's not been a coffee that I've been disappointed with. That being said, there have been hundreds of coffee roasters before us and there'll be thousands after us. And what it is, it, it often comes down to a, a marketing thing. And what I mean by that is when when you put your coffee into a bag, that's your opportunity to, as you put it, connect with your customer and almost set yourself apart. And there are so many options right now in terms of um, what is important to the customer. And it often doesn't just go to what does that bag look like, but it's what is that bag made of? And to go back a little bit, when you said, uh, started with the bags, it probably started with the cups more than anything. And and that was a takeaway coffee cup. Um, we started looking at the process of, um, getting custom, customizable cups. And as soon as you start to customize stuff, you, you look at minimum order quantities. They just increase exponentially. Um, but what you gain from that is you get some uh, marketing, you get some brand awareness. And if I'm going to be honest, you get people taking pictures of your cup on, on Instagram, which, that 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 means you you make good coffee um but it is something that you do you do look at and if i was to to summarize in specialty coffee is the majority of people i know use compostable coffee cups it is a thing that has been pre- uh, promoted that we use compostable coffee cups like it is a good thing because if as a, a basic consumer i said oh coffee cup is compostable it must be good it sounds good i've i've heard things that say compostable is good a low estimate would be that 97 percent of those uh, coffee cups go into landfill why wow. because of the way that we consume it is if you think of how you buy a takeaway coffee cup what do you do with it you take it away and then you're walking you're out you're wherever that may be the majority of the infrastructure that is set up is just a standard waste bin that goes into mm. um landfill and through that process we started to ask the question of well are compostable cups good and that's a very broad statement but with the support of um the sustainable materials innovative is they started to explain this concept of your carbon content and your end of life and how much energy it actually takes to produce the thing in the in the first place and one of the reports that they gave us was this idea that let's just stick with the compostable cups. It actually takes more energy to produce a, a compostable cup than it does a standard paper cup. The materials that you then use in a paper cup to make sure that it looks after your, uh, your hot cup of coffee is it is a petroleum based lining, which has yeah. a negative impact. If the compostable cup has a non-petroleum based lining, that would then deem to be better because you're not using a uh, a resource in in petrol, in oil. The problem is it just takes more energy to make it. Not only that, it actually takes more energy to break down in standard landfill. So it goes to this whole idea of, right, if the consumer is going to take that cup away and throw it in the bin, is a compostable cup a good option? And opening that conversation was something that genuinely I, we don't necessarily have have the answer to one of the approaches is is that it's a it's a cultural thing, is that to try and change people's perceptions of when you go for a takeaway coffee that you get a paper cup, if that option was never there, people would still go for a takeaway cup of coffee. They'd just remember to take their their cup.
1: It's one of those things, isn't it? It's like once you start pulling on the thread, you realise the thread is a whole ball of thread and also yarn and a whole jumper on the end of it. We've certainly found that when trying to consider the environmental kind of uh footprint of our festivals and I think like one of the things for me and for consumers is that like waste and um, waste disposal is just super confusing whether this is deliberate or not do you think like particularly when there are these kind of buzzwords like compostable or recycling do you think that is a bit of greenwashing
2: Okay, so two things. Number one, in my opinion, end of life is is the most important part of the, the equation. And what I mean by that is what happens to it once you use it. To highlight the point, I always reference plastic straws. Plastic straws for drinks are amazing, right? You want to put something into your drink so that you can get it into your mouth. It needs to be cheap. It needs to do the purpose of passing liquid through it. And it needs to be different colors, different shapes. It's got to have a bend. It's perfect, except for its end of life. Putting a paper straw in there, though it might seem like you're reducing the amount of plastic, how many times have you had a paper straw and halfway through your drink it, it turns into mush? It doesn't do the it doesn't do the job. So almost it's to answer your question is do I think it's greenwashing? No, on the basis that you have to start somewhere. So if I then go back to the 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 takeaway cup scenario is is compostable cups an option that is better than a paper one if we can lead to the infrastructure being implemented mm. and what i mean by that is commercial composting units that are easily uh, accessible um, to more people that's it's, it's almost like a chicken and egg question um what yeah. do you start with the cheaper innovation of a uh, a paper material or the more expensive um financial outlay for the for the infrastructure of something that people don't need You can't build it until people need it. Spending your money on compostable cups will hopefully lead to more compostable uh, commercial units being built. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest part of, I think, all of these decisions are you've got to ask the questions. So if I go back to the plastic and the end of life is that if it was... So easy to get rid of a a plastic straw, and it was reused and repurposed, or when it was put into landfill, something happened to it. I'm I'm making this stuff up now, by the way. Is something happened to it that it had a positive outcome? Then a plastic straw is 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 still the best thing for to make straws out of. We're looking at a few companies who are doing some absolutely amazing things, and even on the consumer side of it, you might have seen it. Is that you can now get plastic mailbags that, if you stick in boiling water, they dissolve. There's polystyrene yeah. balls that do the same. Now, I'll put a big caveat in. I don't know whether or not that has a positive outcome afterwards. That'd be something that we'd have to look into. But it's this idea that innovation is is there, and people are trying to find better solutions to plastic materials. Mm. Though this isn't your question, I'm going to go to a project that we're actually working on that's absolutely unbelievable. It's uh, with a company, a Manchester-based company called uh, AutoMEDI, And they are a, I'll summarise, a, a plastic waste company who collects certain types of plastic, breaks them down, turns it into 3D printer ink, and then makes stuff out of your waste plastic. And we've got an exciting project with our plastic milk bottles that potentially are going to be repurposed for something that we have a need for. If it works, it's it's quite cool.
1: What a teaser
2: it it goes to that whole idea of again is right now it's it's end of life like what what do you do with the thing that you need in this industry there'll be a lot of people who use plastic milk bottles what yeah. are you doing with them where are they going
0: yeah very good question yeah and great to hear that you've uh, found someone like locally that you can collaborate on for that as well i think that's like something we all have to be open to is like working together with people, you know, we don't have the answers. So we need to look outside of our industry to like find those people who can support us. And I think it's worth saying that you are joined by Hannah Barron from Manchester University to deliver your presentation at the coffee festival. And it was amazing to hear about the support that you had from the team there in estimating your carbon footprint. And I feel like that might be something that's like quite out of reach for a lot of roasters. Do you think that that's like a viable option for other coffee companies specifically to be able to estimate their footprint.
2: So we ended up getting onto that project through through looking for support through local councils, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a government grant that was funded through the European government that we actually got the ability to do that. I suppose this is often for, for people who run businesses, is that they go, Oh, I wish I'd known about that grant. Is the fact of the matter is they're they don't get just handed to you. They don't get announced. Like you have to actively look. And part of it is an ongoing process that if you want to ask these questions, you have to ask them. You can't just yeah. be there going, oh, well, I would have done it if I'd known about it is it. Well, you, you've, you've got to go find it. And I suppose so much of this is we are actively seeking different solutions to the things that we have. The easiest thing to do in life in general, but especially in business, is just do the thing that you did yesterday. Um, it doesn't doesn't require any thought. Just keep keep slinging coffee, keep selling coffee. It's, or you can choose to ask questions, go look into different materials. There's there's companies out there. One of one of the most famous ones in Europe that still uses a paper bag. Like, it, I'm not. That's not a criticism. It's a well. You have the opportunity to just do the same thing if it's working. Why fix something that's not broke? I suppose my my take on it has always been, well, if I keep asking the questions, then someone else might be asking the questions that pushes someone to find the answer. I don't know if it's, yeah. I'm definitely not going to criticise anyone for, for not doing it. It's just definitely my approach.
1: I think sometimes asking the question is difficult because then when faced with an answer or a lack of answer, it's difficult mm-hmm. to decide how to move forward then. Like in your talk, you spoke about kind of needing to change the consumer culture of of that posing with the branded cup, right? Because that is driving so many of those sales to buy the takeaway cup in the first instance. It's an interesting one though, because it kind of, that speaks to the wider issue of consumerism. Like within the industry, how do we tackle that issue and how do we shift that culture from a consumer perspective? Big question.
2: Uh, look, in, in, I'm, I'm always behind innovation. I, I am, I think, I did a speech Uh, A talk recently and one of the things that I sat there saying that um, I have a seven-year-old who I hope grows up in a world where they can consume more than what I did in my life and it's it's a provocative statement and what I mean by that is I don't mean to consume the earth's resources to a point that there's nothing left is that I hope that science and innovation enables the next generation to to keep consuming resources that have a better positive outcome an impact on the planet itself though it's not the point it's, it's something that is happening right now is that if you look at oil consumption especially for plastic for the last sort of 20 30 years it's it's never really been addressed what happens with it afterwards so much of uh, the UK and Europe in in particular have just been sending their their plastic waste off to countries that will take it basically and they'll burn it and what they're oil companies are now doing is they're they're building these huge plants because they've found a way to take that plastic waste break it back down and turn it into oil now that is a positive and equally i can quite happily sit here and say it's a negative thing but it's the fact that it's it's innovative and these are the things that i have hoped that we keep finding clever solutions for for this sort of stuff one of the smaller ones that we've looked at and hopefully we're going to be able to partner with them is a company called not pla um absolutely employee to look at what they're doing because it's it's ridiculous and they are basically making a plastic-based material out of seaweed and some of the things that they're they're trying to do is is so so clever and again that's that's all i can ever say is that it's it's less about trying to change consumerism because i think it's that's that's a really difficult problem to break down Mm. it's more that accept that it's going to happen and find different ways to encourage it and let it happen this is this kind of puts where my opinion lies on this it's, it's probably an easier way to understand it is that i i enjoy food any type of food as long as it tastes good and Same. one of the things that i love is it is a burger and if i was to sit there with say a vegan who who didn't want to eat a burger not because of the taste but everything that's behind it it's been for so long i think if you went back 10 years I'd almost get a piece of cardboard in a bun and say that it's a vegan burger. It's like, well, it's not because it doesn't taste like a burger. There are companies now that have actively tried to replace a meat patty, a burger, with a substitute that actually looks, it bleeds, it's fibrous, it's texturous. From my perspective, that's such a great way to break down the problem. It's not about trying to change people's perceptions of, well, don't eat a burger because of this, this, and this. It's going, well, keep eating your burger. It just happens to be better. Like that is, that's the way to, to fight consumerism yeah. is let them consume and go, well, just keep doing it. This just happens to be so much better.
1: You're quite an optimist, really, aren't you? Because you're not saying, uh, this kind of relentless negative onslaught you're celebrating innovation and that's really what you're asking for and that was the theme of your talk I feel that it was we're not sitting here purporting to have all the answers we're just asking the questions because there's a community of people hopefully listening to this podcast even who might have that idea that turns into something that can change it it's
2: absolutely because if I was to be the pessimist on the other side of the equation is I have the solution to what makes the most environmentally friendly, low carbon solution to the coffee industry. It's easy. Don't drink
0: coffee. <laughs> no. And
2: that's almost the, the point of it is I want to find a way that people can keep enjoying at a level that, that we are. Yeah. Be positive about coffee. Yes.
1: I
0: am positive about coffee often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We love coffee. <laughs>
1: Um, (laughs) shocking statement
0: yeah (laughs) yeah so you've talked a bit about the kind of end of life of products I guess this ties into with what you're saying about people still being able to use the products that they love but that they're like just better that they have a better end of life and in your talk with Hannah you talk a little bit about the difference between polystyrene cups and then like the ceramic cups and kind of or or a reusable cup for example and how the impact of using both of those things which I thought was like a really interesting comparison and I think that people might
2: just just to tag it tag in on that one so don't don't quote me on the numbers but what what Hannah is alluding to there is this whole idea of the the team at Manchester University did a study on a like a porcelain cup like a, a nice ornate reusable cup and compared it with white polystyrene cups and I think the numbers were that it takes the same amount of energy to make 300 polystyrene white cups as it does for the, the porcelain cup. And every single time that you washed that reusable cup in a particular type of detergent, you could have produced another three polystyrene cups. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole idea of just saying, right, well, which which is the item that is has a better carbon footprint? Well, evidently, the, the polystyrene cup. But what you have to take into account is the end of life. You can't. What has to happen to it afterwards? Um, that was the story.
0: Yeah. And don't quote
2: me on the three hundred cups. I need to. <laughs> che- I need to check.
0: I was sort of going with that. Is that I think people might be really interested in a lot of the facts that you present in your talk. So I was wondering, yeah. is there somewhere where people can go and like you to report on the data, or is there somewhere at, at Manchester University that you can direct people to?
2: Not right now, but the we are looking at sort of not repurposing our website, but definitely have a, a section that's going to be interactive and engaging for for people to come and read what it is that we're doing and, and what we've we've done in the past. I think so much of um the story that I'd like to be able to tell is is to support it with with not necessarily just science but people who definitely know a lot more about this
1: yeah. than
2: than we do at Kickback Coffee so to be able to showcase that we are doing these projects and where we're getting this information from it's something that we definitely do want to showcase and allow customers and essentially anybody who's interested to be able to follow it up right now no but soon yes but
1: watch this space
2: exactly it's-
1: important isn't it because you know particularly with the work that you're doing with your plastic milk bottles and kind of repurposing them that's incredible but from an external point of view if I'm just kind of walking along the street I don't have that information straight away there's almost we've done such a good job of discussing the concept of recycling etc that now there's this demonizing of seeing any plastic items like if you did have plastic straws how do I know that's a seaweed plastic so if you do eventually get that space on your website and on your socials to communicate that you're breaking that initial barrier because I think otherwise there's that risk that people don't open the door to engage with what you're doing in the first place the perception is already I see plastic the end
2: yeah do you know what that's actually an interesting an interesting point because it's something that we're addressing right now we have custom coffee bags and the choice of the material when we went back sort of it was probably two years ago when we did our last sort of run what materials were on the market then in comparison to now it's it's a, it's a minefield as a as a business yeah. owner to be able to choose what to to have you've got uh compostable home compostable biodegradable you've got paper different types of plastics and i sit here and i, I go I, I don't know what the right answer is i just don't my big thing is that you've just got to explain the why part why have you chosen to do this and Even to a point of plastics, in this country, so much of the legislation is still written by European law, and it doesn't necessarily align with what infrastructure we have. So I don't know which council you use, but we have at our our home now, I'm talking about domestically, is we have a, a green bin, a general bin a paper bin and then we have plastic and tin and glass all together. The plastic, we can't put anything in there that isn't the shape of a bottle. Not only that, there are certain things on the bottles that we can't put in. If there's any sort of sort of what could I call it, like thin, thin papery plastic, that can't be used either. And there's so much if we were to make a coffee bag that is fully recyclable in my bin at home, it can't be recycled.
1: Yeah and local council has a lot to, yeah.
2: To almost catch up on, and, and so much of it is—it's it, an understanding of of what the—it's it, not simple. It's not as a consumer, mm-hmm. and asking questions is is the only way to do it. And I think going back to my point, what I just said about different materials, you've just got to be able to explain why. Why have we used this one? And that's what we're going to try and do.
1: Amazing. That leads me nicely into the question of kind of now we're checking in. It's not quite a year since Manchester Coffee Festival, but this obviously is something you're incredibly passionate about. Have there been any developments with Kickback with this sustainable focus that you'd like to plug or just in general, how is the business kind of unfolding between then and now?
2: Absolutely. So look, the first thing that I already said is that We are changing the the material of our bags and figuring out the right path. We're working again with the SMI to actually identify which material would be the best one for us. I think... Um, especially when you're dealing with the suppliers of the material, they'll quite happily give you the advertising answer to why you should have this. So to actually have some quantifiable and maybe some independent opinions of what it is that we're using. And more specifically, again, linking into the infrastructure, what is the best material for someone, a roaster in Germany, might not be the best material for someone up in Manchester. And equally, might not be the best material for someone in London. Like councils, as we've already alluded to, is, is different. So that's the, the, the first thing. We're also sort of doing a big push to promote this this whole idea of reusable. Because we still get so many of our customers come to our, our spaces, we have the ability to do that. As soon as you start selling online, then evidently promoting that something is reusable and re- refillable and it, it kind of loses itself. So we have a, a tub scheme that we've done a lot of promotion on and, and that seems to be going really well. And the, the bigger parts is just keep making small choices that have a positive impact at removing carbon. We we have a, a I'll call it a fleet. I don't know what a fleet is, but we've got we've got an electric van that is doing all of our deliveries. We've got another sort of small electric vehicle that does some of the sort of local ones, and then we have recently got ourselves a e cargo bike, which we do sort of the probably within a five k area around the roastery. And we've got uh, one of our team, Ted, who goes out every single Tuesday on this bike. And look, if you guys know where the roastery is, it's pretty hilly, and he probably heads out with not far off two hundred kilos of coffee on this um, this oh, bike. Wow. And yeah, it's not easy.
1: <laughs> Ted's Go got Ted. strong legs. Thank you, Ted.
2: Yeah, he's uh, he, do, he does. He's he's nineteen years old and loves riding. So um, yeah, he's he's having the time of his life.
0: Dream job. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, well Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was yeah a pleasure you're welcome. to hear more about your talk from from Manchester. If people want to learn more about Kickback and projects that you're working on, where should they head to?
2: Definitely follow us on on Instagram. You can find us at, at Kickback Coffee. Thank you.
0: Great. Thank you. Yes, that was
1: amazing. And if you keep on listening, uh, you'll hear a recording of Alex's presentation with Hannah from Manchester Coffee Festival 2022. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back soon with another episode of Brewing It Over.
2: I'm Alex from Kickback Coffee. And I suppose the little bit of the why of what we're going to talk about is about 12 months ago, we were in the process of trying to find and identify a new bag for our coffee. And a lot of the questions that, that I faced was, what material should we make them out of? I suppose a little bit of this is us going to basically go over that conversation and talk about some of the lessons and learnings that I had along the way. When I first started, coffee was just a hobby. I roasted in my kitchen with a popcorn machine and I bought paper bags off eBay with a little tin tie. I'd handwrite the sort of like the branding on it and I'd give it away to family and friends. Slowly as that started to develop, I bought some stock bags from some, someone on the internet and I put a label on it. And as I said, as we started to grow, we wanted something that was going to represent the brand and going down that line is there are certain manufacturers that you'll speak to and certain materials that you're going to deal with a lot of the big points of the packaging that we're going to talk about is i would go to a wholesale customer having just packed up 1 kilo bags i'd watch them cut the bag empty the coffee into their hopper and throw the bag straight in the bin and that just didn't sit right and there's some of the questions that basically led to us making changes or better decisions and as a product of understanding what materials are available, you've got to have a bit of a better understanding of what happens to the packaging after you've bought this thing that you think is better. So as a part of uh, some European funding, it was basically a project that supports SMEs, small businesses, to help help reduce their carbon footprint. And as a product of that, I met Hannah at the University of uh, Manchester and worked as part of a project called the SMI. This is Hannah, and she's going to tell you a little bit about that.
3: Hi, everyone. So I work for the Sustainable Materials Innovation Hub, which is the SMI hub. So it's part of the University of Manchester and the Henry Royce Institute, which is a nationwide research institute into advanced materials. And so, as Alex said, we were set up with funding from the European Regional Development Fund, which allows us to help SMEs in Greater Manchester with more sustainable plastics use. So it could be anything from packaging or to products that you're making from plastics. If you're an SME in Greater Manchester, we can support you for free to look at how you're looking at using plastics and help you to use them more sustainably. So that's how you kind of got in touch with my my boss, who's Professor Michael Shaver. So he's a professor of polymer science and you, you were kind of asking him about packaging and different things like that. So yep. in the end, we were able to help you with a bit of a project around some of your challenges and your packaging challenges within kickback as well
2: absolutely and some of the some of the questions that i had was this whole idea of i've, I've brought them here and these are the tubs that we use in our business on the wholesale side of things i would quite happily stand up here and go guess what we don't use single use plastic we deliver all of our coffee in reusable tubs now I can quite clearly see these are made out of plastic. Being able to stand up here and say, it is better because of this, that was the bit that I was kind of missing. The how many times do we actively have to use this before we have replaced 20 bags, 10 bags, whatever that version is. And getting some of the science behind it was something that I found massively important. But one of the bigger ones was this whole idea of it's all good and well. Us doing good, but we're part of a big community. You guys coming to this sort of event, you'll see that we're all kind of interlinked. And one of the biggest things that I ask this question of there's so many of us in this industry, and I want to put out an apology, but a statement at the same time is that there are certain references that I make to people making statements that I make as well. So anything that I criticize, I am standing here doing the same thing. And at the end, I hope I tie it all together. But for example, the cups that we have on the the stand in front of us, these are incredible brands. They are. They make amazing coffee. And uh, I know quite a lot of them personally. All of them talk about this whole idea of having compostable cups, which is great. When we did a study of our compostable cups, a low estimate would be 99% of them go into landfill. So if I stand up here going, guess what? We use compostable cups, aren't we great? But the fact is how consumers use them the system doesn't work. And what I mean by that is over a period of time, um, it probably went all the way back to sort of like 60s in America, where certain companies tried to push this whole idea of if you're feeling tired and you need to drive, grab a coffee. And that concept was building up this takeaway cup. There was a massive push from Howard Schultz, who is Starbucks throughout the 90s, and it almost became a thing that oh, I'm going to grab myself a coffee and walk down the street with my takeaway cup. It's become a culture. It's become, if I'm going to go out for a coffee, I am going to have a takeaway cup. So when it comes to this idea that we're using these sustainable materials to feed this culture of walking down the street with a branded cup, there's something that has definitely got to change. And in in our experience, it's being able to sit up here and have these conversations and go guess what we sell a lot of takeaway cups and a lot of them go to landfill how can we change this and having and just to clarify um we don't have a solid answer right now but being able <laughs> to sit here and and have the conversation this is what we're trying to promote one of the things that we did discuss yeah. was a project that Hannah was working on
3: yeah so we we were kind of inspired by the work that we did with kickback coffee and we wanted to reach out to a wider community of um, cafes and coffee shops in Greater Manchester to try and help us and support as many businesses as possible. So we started a, a project called Good Cup, Bad Cup, which kind of came to fruition in Ju- June or July this year. And so we essentially brought together a group of independent coffee shops and discussed The different, different topics that you had already kind of, we'd already highlighted. So what happens at end of life and what sort of systems exist within Greater Manchester and the UK more widely? And what waste management infrastructure exists to be able to dispose of some of these single use items? Looking at how to reduce single use and methods of reducing the single use items that you're using within the coffee shops and within these cafes and also promoting systems of reuse. So these were kind of the topics that we wanted to focus on. And I guess just to expand on on what you were kind of saying in terms of how many of these cups are actually going into landfill, half a million single-use cups are thrown away every day in the UK. So, you know, and and I think about 1% of them are actually recycled or less than 1% are actually recycled. So they will be ending up either in incineration or in landfill in the UK. So it's about thinking about how we can improve that or how we can kind of reduce the amount of single-use that we're using. However, having said that, materials are a lot more complex than we might think. So if I was to hold up a polystyrene cup and a ceramic mug and ask, ask you which one you'd rather have your coffee in from an environmental standpoint, I'd guess the majority of you would say a ceramic mug. But actually, you can use, make, transport and dispose of 500 polystyrene cups for the same environmental footprint as at one ceramic mug and if you think about that broadly like when I first heard that it didn't really make much sense to me but actually when you think about extracting those materials from the ground heating them up in a kiln uh, ceramics you need over a thousand degrees to be able to actually make them into a into a valuable product and then to actually transport them it kind of starts to make sense
2: and even on that, just to add to this story, and this is the bit that really got me, is that once you have the cost of the cup in terms of the environmental cost, is if you wash this in a particular type of detergent, you can actually manufacture, transport, make and dispose of another two cups. Yeah. So potentially, depending on how you're cleaning this, you will never catch up.
3: If you're using hot water, depending on the detergent you're using, it really, you know, and most people do want to wash their cups with hot water and washing up liquid. Exactly, that's right. Again, so you're, 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 it's another two polystyrene cups. And by no means am I advocating that we should swap to polystyrene cups at all. But it's just to kind of highlight the complexity of materials and, and sort of the problem we're, that we're really facing. So
2: one of the questions that, so we distribute, so we have a, a, a network of cafes as well. And these are the questions that, that they ask us. And that is this whole idea of, well, what, is, what makes a cup compostable and what makes it uncompostable or non-compostable? So the different types of linings that are actually in the cups themselves is the, is, is the differentiation, if that makes sense?
3: Absolutely, yeah. So inside one of these cups, you'll either have a polyethylene, which is kind of like cling film liner, or you'll have a, a PLA, which is polylactic acid, which is made from cornstarch. So it's actually derived from a bio-derived source. So it's not made from fossil fuels. It's made from a renewable source.
2: So the PLA is the... The
3: PLA is the compostable alternative. But PLA is only compostable in industrial composting facilities. So if you put it on your home compost, it's not going to break down. It will very much still act as a plastic wood if you left that in your home compost. So it's quite complicated when it comes to these materials. It's not as easy as you as you might think, really. So,
2: so just on that, on the infrastructure, the commercial composting element is the bit that... That's what I learned lots about. So when I, re- when I read as a consumer, this is compostable and it is, it's a true statement. All of the cups that are being collected here and being put into the compostable bins, they will go to a commercial composter and they will do as they say. The issue that you have as a consumer or even someone of our size as a business is that you don't actually have easy access to these facilities. Exactly. So going back to my start, starting point in my story of trying to find a material for our bags, at that point, there wasn't a facility in the Northwest for us to viably transport our bags to get them composted.
3: And I, I still don't really think there is. I think that there is so little industrial composting infrastructure in the UK. There is a new, there's there's uh, an industrial composting facility in Cambridge. There's a new one being opened in Crewe. But realistically, we don't have the infrastructure there to be able to deal with these compostable cups. And if you go back to the idea about the carbon footprint compared to the cups, a lot of literature points to the polyethylene cups being a lower carbon footprint than the PLA lined cups. And if they're both realistically going to end up in incineration or in landfill, which is quite likely at the moment, given the infrastructure we have and the systems that we have, then that's a questionable decision to make. And I guess it's a question for every business themselves.
2: The next bit is almost like, well, what are the other options? And one of the things that Hannah's touched on is uh, a cup deposit scheme. Yeah. And there there are companies out there, some of you might have heard of Husk, which is a commercial product that is actually a byproduct of the cherry, the, of the coffee that creates this material. And then they've got a system where if the infrastructure is built, where these cups can be sort of like shipped around from different cafe, there is a system there. But at the minute, the infrastructure being the support from the cafes probably isn't large enough to make that system work. Even to a point of what are the alternatives is I have a, a, reu- a reusable cup. I am going to make the assumption that a lot of people here equally have a reusable cup. How many of you only have one? (laughs) Exactly. And when you ask that question, it's like, right, so there are certain coffee shops out there that have got a zero single use takeaway cup policy, which is great. It is because it is changing habits. But at the time that you turn up there and you go, well, I want to take away coffee. What's my alternative? Well, you've got to buy a reusable one. Yeah. It's reusable. It builds up in your, in your cupboard. I think a great example in this country is plastic bags. Yeah. There is so many positive um, data that suggests that the tax on uh, plastic bags has reduced single-use plastic bags. How many of you all have a cupboard with copious amounts of reusable bags? And it's almost asking that question of they are reusable but they're using more material. Yeah. They're harder to get rid of. The end of life is the is the question and it's such a difficult conversation to have or a difficult problem to break down to try and find out What is great? What the best solution is?
3: And I think we're still asking that question, really, aren't we? We're just trying to get to the bottom, if there is a bottom of this question. So we're just kind of thinking about what's the best case scenario at the moment and what's the best thing for small businesses to do at the moment, given the current infrastructure and the current waste management infrastructure. And I think, you know, we, we were talking about the cup deposit schemes. They are an option. But again, with... It's not necessarily a viable and economically sustainable option for small businesses. And I think when we're talking about sustainability, especially given the current economic climate, you have to think about environmental sustainability, social sustainability, and economic sustainability of small businesses. So
2: that economic sustainability is massive because it's all good and well being great and perfect. But if you can't afford to stay in business, then it's not the best decision. One of the other ones in terms of packaging is, as I've alluded to, this whole idea of the coffee packaging itself. And in the last sort of six to 12 months, I think uh, a lot of roasters have started to put out different bags with different, let's say, promises or or marketing is that you have fully recyclable, you have uh, compostable, you have home compostable, uh, you have biodegradable. And all of these have a, a different element to truth in it, okay? And one of the things that sort of not necessarily sits on well with me, but it's always something that I like to challenge is I'm okay with people marketing things as long as it is clear and obvious one of the uh, studies that Hannah's picked up on is this idea of what is home compostable and the material yeah. and the the percentage of what is actually home compostable.
3: Yeah, and that's um, a study that's come out of UCL and it's called the Big Compost Experiment, and that it's essentially the biggest home composting experiment that's been done uh, and recorded. So there's over a thousand participants who have been home composting, compostable packaging in their their home composts and seeing whether or not it will actually degrade. And that's over a a 24-month period. And they've come out very recently with the results of this experiment to say that over 60% of the stuff is not breaking down in their home compost that claims to be compostable. And I think you know it doesn't really matter if something is recyclable or compostable or biodegradable if it's not actually being recycled or being biodegraded or being composted and that's what we kind of want to think about so it's the systems within which these um end of life end of life fates are assured and they're actually like happening so being recycled or being composted and it's quite clear that home compostable packaging isn't actually working in home compost in the UK. Whether that's because of the climate, whether it's because they're not oxygenated enough, it's whatever the management of it. It's, yeah, exactly. It's got to be
2: live. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> and it and it looked across a range of different composts as well. So wormeries, open compost, closed compost. So it wasn't um, just just focused on one type of compost. It but they found like pretty much across the board, it wasn't really working. So we have to kind of rethink. The packaging that we're using and, and home compostable packaging is not the solution, I don't think.
2: Even to a point of uh, we're currently looking at coffee coffee pods and we were sent a sample of a, a biodegradable one. And we asked for a report of what it actually degrades down into. And after a long report, it basically said about a million pieces of the thing that it was made out yeah. of. And that's what we're kind of talking about is that I think this industry could go down a rabbit hole of just picking the best marketing word, and almost blind the consumer into not fully understanding what that term is because it looks good. One of the biggest things that I think, from our perspective as a as a roaster and being able to speak to people, is just trying to make the awareness of what these labels say, even to a point of trying not to sound like a hypocrite. And this is how I started: is we buy compostable cups and. One of those questions back to us, well, you're saying all this, but why are you spending the money on the compostable cups? One of the things that we definitely agree on is the infrastructure isn't there. The only way to get the infrastructure is one of two ways. Consumer-driven choices, as in how you spend your pounds. If you spend your pounds on products that say compostable, the infrastructure will hopefully be built after that. The other one, which Hannah's going to touch on, is government-led legislation. And the as with the plastic bags, there is positive outcomes from that.
3: Yeah, exactly. So there is um, the extended producer responsibility uh, that's that's going to be coming in in 2024, which is going to mandate take-back schemes to recycle coffee cups as well um, for businesses that are larger than 10 people. And we kind of We've understood diff- potentially different environments that that might exist in. So whether or not that's going to be relevant for hospitality, or whether or not it's going to be just relevant for big businesses, is, I guess, a bit ambiguous. As is everything coming out of the government at the moment. But there is there is reason to hope, and I it's think a
2: positive parts to the future. Yeah, that, yeah. that the government is trying to do something.
3: Let's hope so. They really there needs to be this needs to be driven by government, and it needs to be driven by big corporations so that smaller organizations can really get on board and then consume. I think a lot of focus is put on individuals to make choices and to be more sustainable or to be more environmentally friendly. But actually, it needs to be driven from above. So a lot of the work that that our group does is trying to put pressure on policymakers and trying to kind of bring the government along to, to come to these realizations as well.
2: And I suppose to just tie it all up a little bit is, well, how do we actually change? And from my perspective, the, the biggest thing that we've got to change is change a culture. So that idea of that image of walking down the street with a takeaway cup, it's got to change and it's got to change from the consumer. Um, one of the inspirations that we took as a business, and it's something that we are trying to, find an economical way to get to this point is there's a uh, a coffee shop uh called bar nine which is in california and for a while they haven't done takeaway cups they do jam jars now if you think of culture i look cool with my starbucks cup the whole idea and the concept of looking cool with your coffee in a jam jar i actually quite like that and the way that they're trying to get these back and reuse them is something that is an alternative to your cup that currently doesn't have a good end of life look the last little bit that i put is innovation has to be uh consumer driven things will only change if we change and that is pretty much me thank you very much for listening